Let's consider that our chance and let's just meditate. Today's reading is on enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is the spirit of joy channeled through the power of the will. If we want to know joy, we must live always in the full expectation of it. Not even earthly happiness can come to those who demand it glumly or who work for it with their eyes to the ground. To achieve happiness, one must work with happiness. To achieve divine joy, one must be keenly enthusiastic in everything one does. Never presume, never brush aside that subtle feeling of doubt which attends false emotional enthusiasm. Try always to let God's joy express itself through you. Thus, your enthusiasm will grow eventually to become His joy. Let us affirm, <coughs> In everything, I do, in everything I do, my enthusiasm, my enthusiasm soars, to infinity, soars to embrace infinity. In everything I do, my enthusiasm soars to embrace infinity. In everything I do, my enthusiasm soars to embrace infinity. infinity. O oh, perfect bliss, oh, perfect guide, me, guide me that I express Thee, I express thee through, my through my every feeling. May my enthusiasm, May my enthusiasm be, a for thy joy. be a channel for Thy joy. Om. Peace. Amen. And I'd like to read from Whispers from Eternity. This could be taken to be on resurrection for each one. No more shall my consciousness remain bottled in this little vessel of flesh, corked with ignorance. No more will I remain moving through the sea of cosmic consciousness night and day, years, decades, and how many incarnations, so close, yet never able to contact thy sea. Through the bursting vibration of cosmic sound and the surging of thy holy name, I have removed the cork of ignorance which so long separated me from thee. Though we lived together so closely, now my body consciousness will meet thy all-surrounding, all-pervading consciousness. No longer will I walk heedlessly in thee, but never knowing and feeling thee. Thine image within me shall meet thine image everywhere. By realizing the Iness in me, I will know that I am Thou, and that Thou 
alone art the little egos of all of us. this week from Rays of the One Light is Resurrection for Every Soul. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. John, chapter 20, we read the inspiring account of Jesus' resurrection. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in their midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. The resurrection of Jesus, doubted by many, but affirmed by those who were close to him, was a miraculous event, though not one unique in history. For many great saints of other religions have appeared to their disciples after death. Sometimes their appearances have been, as that of Jesus was, in the flesh and blood form, and not only in vision. Paramhansa Yogananda relates in Autobiography of a Yogi the account of his guru, Sri Teshwar's resurrection after his earthly passing. Miracles of this type are revealed only rarely to the masses, but accounts of them, related by men and women of reputed truthfulness, have inspired many devotees with faith in the reality of subtler than material states of existence. Resurrection, Yogananda explained, means transformation, ultimately, from any lower state of being to a higher one. Worldly consciousness cannot imagine such transformation, except in terms of, perhaps, an improvement of the present mess of pottage with the addition of a new flavoring. Divine consciousness, however, is capable of taking the base metal of worldliness and transforming it into the spiritual gold of divine wisdom and love. In keeping with this truth, the Bhagavad Gita in the ninth chapter tells us, Ah, ye who into this ill world are come, fleeting and false, set your faith fast on me, 
fix heart and thought on me. Adore me, bring offerings to me, make me prostrations, make me your supremest joy, and undivided unto my rest, your spirits shall be guided. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Thank you. Why do we chant the threefold Om like that? It's an interesting point. The three aspects of Om are known symbolically as Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. These are not separate gods. They're that aspect of Om which brings everything into manifestation, that aspect which keeps it in manifestation, and that aspect which dissolves everything back into the spirit. And the, the actual songs are, the first is louder and higher. And so we sing, Om. It's sort of like a motor. You hear a car motor start up, and it begins with, um, right? <laughs> and then when it reaches a certain level, um, and when it ends, it, um. and so, with this absolutely divine image, <laughs> you have a deep truth. When we sing the threefold Om, you sing the first one loudly, then the second a little bit more soft, and the, first, the third one, softest of all. And they are always the eternal... When you hear these sounds in meditation, you will actually hear the three aspects, the higher sound, um, then the medium, then the low. And these are, these are actual experiences that everybody can have, perhaps does have, I don't know. But uh, it's so... Now, Master gave a very interesting... Well, let me begin by saying this. We've all heard the statement, today is the first day of the rest of your life. It would be a very good thing to think of this day as your day of resurrection. Let's say that from now on, we're going to change. From now on, we're going to make our lives more spiritual. From now on, we're going to think more of God. Every day can be that. Every second can be that. You know, the expression of Shankaracharya, the definition of God, was Satchitananda. Forgive me if I don't stand, by the way. I have the great disadvantage of not being able to see all of you. But you have the great advantage of not being able to see me. <laughs> And this is a great blessing. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> Master said that uh, um, the translation of that is usually given in books as existence, consciousness, bliss. Well, what are you going to do with that one? <laughs> Master gave it much more beautifully. He said, ever existing, ever conscious. And then he added his own thought to that, ever new bliss. That ever new is a very important addition because every moment, every point in space 
is a different manifestation of that bliss. We are all manifestations of that bliss. That is why the one motivating factor of every human being on earth is to find happiness. Everybody wants to avoid pain, obviously, but everybody wants to find happiness. Everybody somehow feels it's his right to be happy. And the worst mafioso is motivated only by that. He may think he's motivated by power, desire for revenge, for money, for all these things. No, these are symbols. What he really wants is happiness. And how many lifetimes it takes to find out where that happiness really lies. People are looking all around themselves in a house of mirrors. And it's themselves that they're reflecting. That happiness you're looking for is inside yourself. Now, the wonderful thing about this ever-new thing, and this came to me in a dream in Florence, Italy, just not very long ago, that every single person is a unique manifestation of that bliss. It's not as if, oh, hum, we're all the same. No. The wonderful thing about this whole universe, each one of us is a special manifestation of bliss. And that bliss, it's always blissful, it's always happy, but it's specific and particular to each individual. And each individual is seeking a particular kind of bliss that will be his. Nobody else will have it. At every point in space, that bliss is new. Every moment in existence, that bliss is new. It's an absolutely staggering concept. But when you think of, I, here I am, nearly 85. I'll be 85 next month. It took me these many years to suddenly realize how leaves come out on trees. I mean, what a, what a jerk. Anyway, <laughs> I was lying in my bed and I can see a tree outside my window. And I would notice it because I take a nap in the morning because I don't sleep at night. So anyway. I see these little bumps on the twigs. And I say, well, they're not, they must be leaves, but I, I don't really know. Um, then they'd be a slightly bit bigger, and then a little bit bigger, and suddenly something comes up. And is that a leaf? And then I see it beginning at the inner branches, and gradually it comes out and out and out. Finally, it hasn't yet reached the outer twigs, but you can see those little bumps there. And you know that it's all going to come green. And it's an absolute miracle. It's absolutely how people can say everything is an accident. How can people can say, oh, there's no God in this? It's hard to believe. There's consciousness in everything. But the thought that everybody is seeking bliss, isn't that enough cause to love everybody on earth? In this dream that I had, some years ago. It was absolutely thrilling. I saw these thousands of people, and all of them are seeking that same bliss. And some of them had very coarse expressions. Some of them had refined expressions. Some were ugly. Some were beautiful. But you could see in every one of them this same desire for that bliss. And sooner or later, that little leaf will come out and become a full-fledged 
leap. It's absolutely thrilling to think what life is and the mystery of it and the beauty of it. I tell you, it's hard not to cry when you see this whole scheme of things so absolutely wonderful and filled with joy. Well, the more that you can get rid of all this mud that is piled over that inner gold of your own nature, the more you will find that that bliss is always with you. Now, we're looking for resurrection, but every religion comes up with some sort of way of ossifying what their teaching is. Our teaching is ossified by the thought that only through Jesus Christ can you get this. He's special, we can't be that. Why Why think he can't be that? He came to show us what he is. He came to show us what we can become. He came to show us an example. Every saint, every master shows us what we can be. What Jesus did, what master did, they can do. But this message has to come again and again and again because because people ossify that teaching and start to think that it's only this. And so you find in Christianity many sort of dead concepts that need to be like in the fall, the leaves fall. We need to get rid of some of those old dead leaves and go back to the basic sap that is religion. We have to understand that the goal of religion finally is resurrection. This is why we were born on this world, to understand that God is our essence, that God is our reality, that there is no reality except God. When Jesus suffered on the cross, did he die for all humanity? It's a very convenient thing to think so, but just use your common sense a little bit. He died in zero, let's see, plus 33 A.D., right? Did the world, the world get better after that? It got worse, didn't it? You didn't find the Roman games and the terrible things that went on in the circus there in Rome um, in those days? No. People got worse. They didn't get better. Therefore, did he really come to save humanity? Did his, did his death save mankind? No. Did it save those who believe in him? That's not enough to believe. People used to believe the world is flat. That didn't make it flat. Your belief isn't anything. In the Bible it says those who received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. What does it mean to receive? It means to tune in. Not to just believe, but to receive in yourself the whole message of the spiritual path, the whole goal of the spiritual path, is to rise above ego. We have to get rid of this thought that I am separate from you, from you, or from God. It's this little vortex of, I'm an American, I'm a man, I'm a, a carpenter, or artisan, or painter, or musician, or whatever it might be. All these self-definitions, we have to get rid of that and realize that we are all expressions of the same truth. Now here's another absolutely wonderful thing that Yogananda taught us. 
He said that when you merge in God, you've given up your ego. You don't become just sort of a part of a uh, soup, let us say, <laughs> where everything, you know, overcooked vegetable soup, all the vegetables they eat alike. <laughs> that isn't how it is. Each person is somehow unique in one respect. You become one with the ocean of God. This is the goal of life. But at the same time, you never overlook because you always retain in omniscience that cosmic memory of having been Seva Weberg or Krishna Das or Dharma Das or all these different individuals. You'll remember yourself in all the incarnations that you ever were. And when you manifest to your, uh, yourself to uh, the world, if people, let's say, um, pray to you for guidance, which they will someday. Hard to believe. You look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, me? Who's going to ever pray to me? But you're holy. You mustn't sell yourself short. No, don't sell yourself, I'm holy because I'm drunk. No. <laughs> but once you've gotten rid of all your weaknesses, you are holy, just as holy as Jesus Christ. You have that same God in you as he had. We must understand that that is who we are. But in each person, this is the incredible thing, each one manifests in a different way. So you never see that St. Francis is the same as St. Teresa or St. Ignatius or St. Yogananda or all the other great saints that have lived. Everyone is unique. It's the ego people who are not unique. They borrow their values. You see sometimes people coming out of a Western movie with a rolling gait. They sort of take on this, I've been riding a horse kind of thing. It's kind of funny. And to see how when people are, I mean, so we're born, I wasn't born, but most of you were born in America. I was born in Romania. But these are only superficial self-definitions. The same person underlying that you go to people in Arabia, India, Japan, basically they all have the same desire for joy. Everybody wants the same thing underneath, underneath it all. Yet each one in a different way. That's the beauty of it. God never repeats himself twice. It is said, I have never made an attempt to discover, but scientists have told us that no two snowflakes are exactly alike. There's uniqueness in every atom of the creation. Master said that every atom is dowered with individuality. And this individuality that you are, when you can get rid of all these things that you've taken on board with your self-definitions, you'll discover that really you are unique. Once you shed this self which is the ego, once you've risen above that, then you suddenly discover that nobody in the universe is like you. It's an amazing concept. But we misunderstand that this truth is arrived at not by mere self-effort. You can't get there on your own. Master told me this story. He said there was a man who was being bothered by a, de by a demon. And he read in the scriptures 
that if you take a little powder and say a mantra into the powder and throw it on the demon, the demon will vanish. So he tried it, and he threw it on the demon. The demon just laughed at him. He said, before you could even say your mantra, I myself got into the powder. So how could you affect the powder? What he was saying was that this ego, which is trying to affirm its non-existence, is already infected with the delusion of, in, of individuality. So you cannot get out of that by self-effort alone. You have to be in tune with somebody who is out of it. That is why they, you need a guru. That is why it says in the Bible, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Receiving him means to attune yourself to that consciousness, to the point where his consciousness comes into yours. And the usual uh, feeling of most egos is, I don't want anybody taking over me. I want to be me. They don't understand that the guru doesn't take over. He's just getting rid of the ego. What, you know, you can't find a better example of the uniqueness of attunement than Yogananda and Sri Yukteswar. Sri Yukteswar expressed himself in terms of cold mathematical wisdom. That was his nature. He was a saint of wisdom. Yogananda was a saint of love and devotion. And by attunement with his guru, he didn't become more wise, well, he became more wise, but he didn't lose his devotional approach. Rather, he found it enhanced. And so when you attune yourself, if you attune yourself to Yogananda, you don't have to be afraid of, of uh, losing your individuality. I know many people tried to tell me, don't follow him, you've got to be true to yourself. I didn't bother to answer them. But I knew that I was finding freedom. And he wasn't making me like him. I'm not at all like him. Except in a, uh, well... You have to tell me that one, I can't. <laughs> but uh, each one, somehow by attunement with the guru, yes, each one takes on a certain thing that's the same, but he becomes himself. I have never known myself as me until I attuned myself with him. So attunement with the guru means that he helps you to become who you truly are. The spiritual path is one of transcendence, but with help. Remember, in every, in every religion, people are always looking for automatic ways. For instance, the Hare Krishna people. Chaitanya first said, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Kevalam. Only by the name of God can you find freedom in him. And... Uh, it isn't the mantra itself that does it. I remember in the life of Ramakrishna where it describes where uh, if they went to a, a uh, um, Vaishnava meeting and they were all singing the Maha Mantra, Hare Ram, Hare Krishna, etc. And he said it was a very lackluster affair. I have seen Hare Krishna people. I was in San Francisco living there when Prabhupada came there. Swami Bhaktivedanta. And he was saying that all who chant this chant will become liberated. He told me 
uh, Allen Ginsberg told me that Bhaktivedanta had said to him one day, where have I gone wrong? He didn't know the answer. Um, Allen Ginsberg didn't. But the answer was, you can't just take a mantra and do it. You've got to do it with the right spirit. And when you understand that, then that is what you have to do with all your religions, all these Kriya Yoga practice. Again, people think, well, here's something mechanical. People are always looking for excuses to be able to do it themselves and leave God out of the picture. You'll never find God. Okay, let me tell you about one monk who lived at Mount Washington. He practiced Kriya Yoga maybe a million times. I mean, he really went at it hammer and tongue. <laughs> he left the path. Master said he was like a merchant. I've given you so many careers, you've got to give me so much answer, so much realization. He said, God doesn't work that way. You know, with the close disciples, Master spent most of his time talking about the importance of attunement. And how do you get that attunement? by inwardly asking Master, what should I do? What is right for me? And feeling that guidance. And many times you will feel that, uh, no, that's not the right way to go. One time I was writing a letter to somebody, and I felt a little nervous. So I said, all right, I won't send it. But you'll find yourself inwardly guided if you always say, not what do I want, but what is right? What do you want me to do? That attunement is something that comes into you from inside out. It's like, you know, the sunlight on the side of a building is uh, uh, its ready to come into every room. But if in your room the curtains are closed, how can it come in? Your work is to open the curtains. So the, grace, the grace comes in automatically. Everything, finally, is grace. Everything. Your breathing is grace. Those leaves coming out on the trees are grace. We have to learn to flow with that grace and not to say, here, let me do it now. You never with that attitude will you get what you're looking for. But through love, through surrender, through openness to God's light, and remember that the most important attitude is one of bliss. In love, there's always a little bit of attachment. But divine love is bliss in motion. When you have that bliss and you try to express that bliss towards others, that is divine love. It doesn't want anything in return. It just is a flow. So on Christmas, on Easter Sunday like this, let's keep in mind the importance of loving God, opening ourselves to Him, living in His bliss, <clears throat> and remember that every moment can be your moment of resurrection. Open yourself to him. You don't know when he will come, but if you, if you keep yourself that way, he will come. I sometimes wonder, have I pleased God? And I think, well, I've done this, this, this. I don't think he cares much what I've done. Sure, I've written all these books and all this music and created all these communities, so what? That's my feeling. I don't think anything I've ever done is important. 
but that I've offered my energy up to him and allowed him to work through me. You know, there was another disciple of Master's, Brother Bhaktivedanta. He was always sort of envious of me because I have a very creative nature. Well, that's the nature God gave me, or the nature I've developed, whatever it might be. But I was envious of him because he was so totally uncreative. And I used to think if I only didn't have this volcano inside me constantly pushing me to do this, do this, do this, I'd have more peace of mind. (laughs) But everybody has to accept that he is who he is. He is what he is. But God doesn't care about that. All the work I've done, I'm grateful that I've been able to bring people to God. But apart from that, I don't think it matters much. Certainly, I don't think it, uh, it's not important to me. People, I hear a song of mine, and say, what was the name of that song? I don't know my own songs anymore. <laughs> but the important thing is that I just love God more deeply. In eternity, that's all that will, that will matter. Don't feel, well, I'm much less worthy than this person or that person. You're as worthy as everybody in the world. As long as you love God, that is the one criterion he asks of you. And the one thing he will ask you when you leave this body, do you love me? Have you loved me? Will you love me? So let's make this Easter a time of affirmation that we will live more and more for that love. Joy to you. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to stay for the Festival of Light, but I do want to hear the choir. So. Take our offering now for what you would like to offer today. Hold in your right hand and please pray with me. Divine Mother, we offer to thee the fruits of our labor. We offer to thee the fruits of our labor. Jesus had shown his pure form upon a high mountain he stood transfigured 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 in light that his chosen might see that he
I want to introduce Donna to you. Sit down so you can see her. <laughs> this is my niece, and uh, she's come here. She may join our community, I don't know. Anyway, I'm very glad to see you, and I know you're leaving after the service. I want to say goodbye. God bless you.